read uh, a passage uh, from the Bible this morning, and it's uh, a passage that's recorded by this guy called Matthew, uh, and he was one of the disciples of Jesus, and uh, just a couple of verses. Thanks, team. Appreciate you guys. Matthew chapter 28, and, um, and, and it's a story, it's a little bit of an insight in the resurrection, how Jesus rose from the dead, or what happened around the events of Jesus rising from the dead. So uh, verse 1 of Matthew 28 says this, Now after the Sabbath, um, that's a nice word for the day that they worship God. The Jewish people used to worship God on a Saturday, which is what they called the Sabbath, okay? And so it says after the Sabbath, so the day after that would have to be a Sunday, is that correct? Uh, and as the first day of the week, which they classed as the first day of the week, began to dawn, a lady called Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And uh, behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothes as white as snow, and the guards took fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, he is risen. As he said, and come and see the place where the Lord lay, or where the Lord did lay. You know, um, there's four accounts in the Bible of the resurrection of Jesus. And I suppose Matthew, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew would give the most dramatic account of all the readings because he puts in information that the other three don't have. And he mentions things like why the stone was rolled away. A stone was rolled away by an angel. Well, wow. It had made it, and then there was an earthquake. I, I mean, uh, the story of Jesus' resurrection would great, make for a great movie, wouldn't it? In actual fact, Hollywood has produced movies over the years. It seems to interest people, this fact that people have died and they've come back to life. It seems like the ultimate supernatural uh, miracle for someone who isn't breathing, the heart has stopped, and yet now they've risen or come alive again. And there's many books and there's many documentaries and it seems to be something of a slight um, obsession with the reality of, uh, of not just death, but people rising from the dead. And then not just rising from the dead, but is there a possibility of life after death? Uh, I'd like to suggest that Jesus' resurrection is all of those things. And it shows us so much that there is just not a hope for this life. There is a hope for what life? For eternity. For eternity. And so... One of the greatest evidences of Jesus' resurrection would have to be the people who actually witnessed his bottle, his, him present after his resurrection. All the people in that day, they actually witnessed, over 150 people witnessed Jesus in his new bodily form after his death and then, of course, his resurrection. And the evidence that we see surrounding these people is the way that it actually done some dramatic changes in their lives. You know, I, I don't know about you, but if someone in my family rose from the dead, that would change me. That'd be pretty amazing. Um, maybe you know of someone, and there's many documented evidences of people who have stopped breathing, and yet uh, some minutes or even uh, up to an uh, hour later, we find that they're alive and it causes the medical profession great um, confusion. How did that happen? But it's happened. 
But I see the people, uh, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus is reflected so much in the people who saw it that day. Now, you and I didn't get a chance. We didn't live in the first century. We live in the 21st century. But the people in those days, like the disciples and other people surrounding Jesus, um, I mean, it, it, it caused, it, even Jesus' death caused uh, the person who nailed Jesus to the cross to finally say, surely he was the Son of God. So something was happening. Jerusalem was in an uproar. It's not only at the death, but at the resurrection of this Jesus Christ. And I, I would want it to continue to be that he would influence this very thing that has happened, would be an incredible influence and an incredible thing that would give, te- would, would give evidence to you today that there actually happened a resurrection and Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, Paul actually said this, I want to know Jesus and I want to know the power of his resurrection. And, you know, and, and I wonder why he said that. And I think he knew that the, something within the resurrection of Christ, it not only was Jesus raised, but it raises something within us. It gives us hope and a, and a, and a, um, a desire and, a, and a, um, an ability to move forward in life and to say, hey, there's hope for my situation. So can we look at just several characters that fateful day? I've named this sermon simply this. The day Jesus rose. Because several people, we, we'll just take a moment, not all 150, but let's take a moment today. Just to analyze, just to, for a moment to see what happened and how these people responded on that day when Jesus rose from the dead. And if we were to look at, we, could, we, we need to go no further than the one that I just read this morning, Mary Magdalene. Um, this is not the mother of Mary. This is Mary, the, the other lady. Um, you might be aware of her, you've read about her in the, in, the, in the Bible, but when Mary, on the day that Jesus rose, Mary discovered something. And what she learned, that there is dignity and significance for the marginalized and the disregarded. In more ways than one, because the truth is, as you look at Mary's story, and if I was to read it, in John chapter 20, verses 18, 11 to 18, really give her an incredible account of what happened. But let me, just, let me just paraphrase it and give you this story. Mary comes to the tomb just while the sun was rising. Okay, and so um, she comes, she was the first. Mary Magdalene and, and other Mary and maybe another woman. She was the first. And as she comes to the tomb, she sees the stones rolled away. And she's weeping. She's already weeping before she gets to the tomb. And the reason she's weeping is because she knows that Jesus has died. Um, and she was grieved about that. And now she gets to the tomb and she looks in the tomb because the stone's rolled, been rolled away by the angel. And she looks in, the body's gone. And now she's grieving because someone has stolen the body of Jesus. She's thinking, oh, great, because she had come to embalm the body with oil. She'd come to, um, to tenderly uh, um, just prepare Jesus' birth. Because he, uh, sorry, birth, not death. <laughs> prepare, him for, prepare his body continually for the death that he was about to undertake. Of course, he was dead. And so she'd come for those reasons. And now, as she comes to the tomb, she realizes what a shock she was preparing to the tomb to expecting Jesus to be alive, uh, not expecting him to be alive, but, but you know, to find his, the body. And of course, as she's at the tomb and she's weeping, um, 
she hears a, a voice behind her and she turns around and she thinks it's the gardener. And, uh, and she says, uh, look, if you've taken his body, tell me where it is. And then Jesus says, Mary. It wasn't the gardener, it was Jesus in the resurrected body. And as he, she said, as he said, Mary, Mary recognized it was Jesus. And she said, Lord. She saw something amazing and she responded. And now was she no longer in grief, but she was in pure joy. What an emotional roller coaster for Mary Magdalene that morning. From such uh, despair and grief to such joy. Expecting to come to the tomb and, and not see a resurrected Jesus, but to see the body of Jesus. Because let's think about it. She was the one who saw Jesus die. She was the, um, one of the last at the cross as so she saw him breathe his last. The cruel way that he was crucified. She was expecting, wasn't expecting, I should say, to see a resurrection. And The interesting thing is, if you were to understand, wanted to understand why Mary had such a roller coaster of emotion from grief to pure joy, you probably have to just understand where she's come from in the years previous to this moment of her seeing the resurrected Jesus. Because three years, uh, within the three years of Jesus' ministry, um, there'd been a moment in Mary's life where she, in actual fact, if you knew her life before, her life was a pure mess. It was an emotional uh, um, in torment, physical torment. Uh, her life uh, was purely a, a mess in so many realms of her life. In actual fact, that um, she was, had been disregarded by society. And over and over and over and again, she'd been abused and used as a woman. And, 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 um, and just so many things that had caused her to think, there's no hope for my future. And yet, on that first time, not this time when Jesus met her at the tomb, but the very first time she met Jesus, Jesus delivered her, it says, from demonic presence, seven demonic um, demons within her life and, and delivered her. And it was such a, a wonderful day. It was a day of uh, such uh, joy and peace that filled her soul. She now felt dignity. She felt restored because ultimately she'd been disregarded by her community because of the way she lived her life. No one wanted to know her. But now Jesus met with her and he restored that dignity and that significance in that moment and just brought this lady from such a low place to such a better place. What a wonderful thing happened. And that's why she was the last at the cross and she was the first at the tomb because she had so much to be thankful for what Jesus had done for her. Do you know when you meet Jesus personally, he never crushes you into the ground and treats you as a second-class person. He never does that. Even though Mary would have felt that way. When you meet him, he really does lift you up. And so on the day Jesus freed Mary, he restored her dignity. But on the day Jesus rose, you've got to understand on that day... Um, he gave Mary even greater dignity, greater significance. Because you've got to understand that the, the, the Bible says women, and particularly probably Mary Magdalene, was the first person Jesus showed himself to. And it was, it was uncultural. It wasn't right to, for a woman to actually have the testimony of the risen Jesus. Because the Jewish people 
always regarded men as more important than women, and so it should have been a man, and so it was all, the, all mixed up, and yet Jesus comes along and he reveals himself to a woman. Did you know that in Jewish culture, a woman's testimony in court was not even regarded? wasn't even regarded. So you can appreciate the insignificance that Mary Magdalene felt. And yet, she's the first one who has the testimony of the res resurrected Jesus. This seemed all wrong. This should never happen that way. That's, that's countercultural. And yet, we see Jesus gives the testimony to a woman to testify. Because she went then to the disciples and said, you've got to come, Jesus is risen. For a woman to bear the testimony of the risen Jesus was not the proper way according to Jew Jewish tradition. And do, did you know, just so you can understand some of the culture. Now, I'm not saying this. It's not what I believe. But there used to be a daily prayer that the first century Jewish man would include in his prayers. And this was the prayer. Blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, because you have not created me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. That's not me. That's what they used to say. But here is why I believe in the significance of the resurrection of Jesus. If you were establishing the Christian faith in the New Testament, why would you allow a woman to be the first to witness the resurrection of, the, uh, of Jesus from the tomb if you wouldn't give any appreciation of her testimony and you give, count her evidence as meaning nothing? Why would you do that? Yet we see Mary is the first to give evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. And even though the culture treated women badly, Jesus repeatedly liberated and he's affirmed women by treating women and men as equals. And I love the fact of that. Uh, you know what? I've got to ask myself the question. At the resurrection of Jesus, he confirmed that genders are equal equality, hey? In actual fact, Paul actually said this, there's neither Jew there's neither Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's never male or female, for all are what? One in Christ Jesus. I'm just wanted, I just want you to understand, here's this precious lady who's been downtrodden for all of her life, and yet there, uh, you know, years before Jesus had risen her up, and now at the resurrection, he, he, uh, he gives her the message of the resurrection of his life. And she's the one to proclaim it. She's the one to share it. He, he restored even greater dignity to her. He restored even greater significance. And if there's one thing Jesus Christ that his resurrection does for people, is he restores their dignity and significance in life. He restores it. He always lifts up. Always encourages. And he looks at the marginalized and he looks at the people who are disregarded in life and he touches their life and he... And he gives of hope and a future. And I love the reality of Jesus Christ. Where did that, where did that desire, where did it come from? Where did this ability to uplift people, it came from the very heart of God and was displayed through Jesus' actions in his resurrection there, even as he proclaimed to Mary, you know what, Mary, I'm alive. Go and tell the other disciples. She was the first to proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus. There are no second-class citizens at the foot of the cross. So glad about that. We live in a world that continually fights and bickers and all about you know who's better than who and what race is better than what race. And Jesus, that was never Jesus' um, intent for this world. We stand equals at the foot of the cross. 
So on the, first, on the day Jesus rose, Mary, the marginalized, the, the person who felt insignificant, was lifted up and given dignity and significance. On the day that Jesus rose, there was another gentleman called John. He was a disciple of Jesus. And um, John was the person who Mary went and told uh, that Jesus has risen. In actual fact, there was a couple of them. There was a guy called Peter and there was John. But when I look at John and I read his story in John chapter 20, verses 3 to 8, um, I see something very significant because I think John discovered that there is evidence for the thinker. If there, if there was um, significance for the marginalized in Mary, for John there was evidence for the thinker. I think, I think John was a thinker. L- let me just uh, recall these verses uh, quickly to you. It's in John chapter three, uh, John chapter 20, verses 3 to 8. It says, I won't give it word for word, but here's what happened. John and Peter ran together. Peter, um, John in, in John chapter 20 called himself the other disciple. It's because he was writing it. And so uh, uh, maybe he just wanted to be humble, but he always called himself the other disciple. And you'll see that it says Peter and the other disciple ran to the tomb. Peter, um, John outran Peter. And uh, as Peter got there, he, he looks into the, into the opening of the tomb and sees the body of Jesus is gone, just like Mary had said. But John came afterward, uh, John came, and he looks in, and Peter, and John looks, that goes a little bit further, I think, in actual fact, John was there first, Peter went in, and both together, then it says in verse 8, it says, the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw, and he believed. So John's talking about himself. When I went into that tomb, I saw and I believed. Just think about that statement for a second. What did he believe? Well, he obviously believed that Jesus, the testimony now of Mary, that Jesus had risen from the dead. What did he see? Because he didn't see a body of Jesus, did he? What did he see? Well, it says, as they looked, the word, it says in Scripture, they looked, and the word looked means to perceive. In other words, they just didn't get to the opening of the tomb, poke their head in and say, oh, nobody here. Oh, no, there's nobody. Jesus is not here. Oh, well, that's the end of it. Let's move on. No, no, no. It says they looked and perceived, and as they looked into the tomb, they saw something significant that they wanted to understand what was happening here. They took a moment to try and comprehend what had just transpired in this Jesus rising from the dead, and they saw the clothes in an orderly manner. They saw the um, menas, I should say. They saw the, 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 the cloth that Jesus was wrapped in in an orderly manner, lying on the slab of stone where Jesus' body had been. And they started to think about that. And it's because John saw that, the Scripture says he saw and he believed. Simply because of that. And maybe these thoughts went through John's head, but you think about it for a moment. Because um, John didn't see Jesus. He saw grave clothes. So looking at the evidence, John arrived at the conclusion that Jesus must have in fact been raised from the dead. Uh, and, and if you think about it for a moment, um, the truth is, if, if, the enemy, if someone had stolen the body like Jesus' enemies, which, which, which was a possibility, why would the enemies of Jesus unwrap his decaying body fold the clothes, put them neatly on the slab, and then carry a blood-soaked dead corpse around the streets of Jerusalem. Does it not feasible? Or what about if maybe the friends of Jesus stole the body? 
Well, you think about it, why would they be disrespectful to the body of Jesus and take his grave clothes off and then also carry a naked body around the streets of Jerusalem? But let's be honest, it's not feasible. Not feasible. Some actually say that the, um, Jesus actually didn't die on the cross. There's a theory that Jesus didn't die on the cross. He actually just fainted. They took him off and his breathing was really low. And they didn't bother checking. And they, they, they wrapped him in cloth. They put him in there. And in the tomb um, on the Sunday, he woke up uh, from his fainted uh, disposition. And he took the grave clothes off and he walked around. Why would Jesus then walk around naked in Jerusalem? There's a lot of conspiracy theories about it. And if, if we were to consider, because uh, I, look, I think that's what John, I, maybe John didn't think about those things, but the reality was the grave clothes folded in an orderly manner certainly spoke of, of the reality. And you know, when you, when the, th- the thing about it is if they observed and they saw all the possible reasons probably were eliminated that were not supernatural in nature. They eliminated all the possible reasons that were not supernatural in nature. And he arrived at the conclusion that Jesus rose. If we were to consider some other facts about the the resurrection of Jesus, just for a moment this morning, think of the transformation of the disciples. Do you know that up to this point, between the Friday when Jesus was uh, crucified and the Sunday when Jesus rose, in those couple of three days, the disciples hid themselves behind locked doors. They were concerned about what the Pharisees wanted to do to them. If they could murder Jesus, they could probably get at us as well. They were fearful, they were concerned, and yet after Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus, here were the same disciples in the marketplaces in Jerusalem proclaiming the risen Jesus Christ. Such a change from such despair and such, um, uh, you know, uh, hopelessness into thinking they could, they could never do anything. And now they're proclaiming something. What happened? The transformation of the disciples. What happened? The, re- the explanation is the resurrection of their Savior, Jesus Christ. If we were to consider another thing, the incredible events of that day... You think about this, the change, I don't know if you've thought about this before, but the change in the day of their worship and the object of their worship, the day and the object. Did you know Jewish people for thousands of years have worshipped on a Saturday, the Sabbath? Thousands of years. And they now have a, and now there's a bunch of God-fearing Jews worshipping on a Sunday and referring it to it as the Lord's Day. They changed. They changed. They changed their day of worship. Have you ever wondered why we worship on Sunday? Well, it all initiated because Christians decided we're going to worship God on a, on a Lord's Day. The truth is you don't need a special day to worship God. But Sunday's good. It's a weekend. It's great. So uh, we can do it every day. And the other thing is they changed not only just their day, but the object of their worship. Because the truth is they started to worship Jesus, who to the religious leaders was just another man or just another teacher. And yet... As they worshipped him, the Christians were actually declaring that this is not just a man. He is the Son of God. He is God. Because the Jews knew that the Scriptures said that you should worship no other gods besides the one true creator of heaven and earth. That was the God in heaven. But isn't it wonderful that God in heaven and his son Jesus Christ were one? 
And we see that the, you Christians were worshipping Jesus. In other words, they were saying, you've you got, you got the attributes of God. You are deity. You're the supreme God as well. So we see the change in the disciples' object in the place of worship. If we were to just look at another fact real quickly, the empty tomb is amazing. Just think about that. Why didn't the religious leaders who initiated Jesus' death on the cross and wanting to discredit him go and bring out the rotting corpse of Jesus and show it to the people of Jerusalem in the public procession? Because if they did that, you think about it, they would have nailed Christianity, flattened it. It wouldn't have happened. It would have faltered right at the beginning. It would never have happened. If they, if, they, if they just brought out the corpse, why not just bring out the dead corpse of Jesus? Well, everybody better recognize it. But they couldn't. They didn't, I should say. It's because they couldn't, because there was no body, there was no physical body to bring out. That body had resurrected. So as we go on, there's so many things. On the day Jesus rose, John discovered there's evidence for the thinker. And maybe you're here today and you've got to have facts. I hope I could just gave you some facts this morning, some realities. John came to the tomb. He didn't leave his brains at the door. You don't need to either. You've got to see the evidence. John discovered that leading, uh, sorry, thinking leads to believing and believing leads to trusting in Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. What an incredible thing. You know, this morning, I could talk about Thomas, and uh, he was the doubter, and uh, how Jesus addressed him, and, and he was changed forever. But oh, let me just go to another person to, to close here this morning, and that person is Peter. Peter, he was the, sorry, he was the other person who ran with John. Um, John outran him to the tomb. And we see Peter... Um, on the day that he got there, he saw as much as John saw. But the interesting backstory to Peter is that three years earlier, Peter was, a, he was a fisherman, of course, and he was on his boat cleaning his nets, and Jesus turns up and preaches to thousands of people, and then Jesus says, Peter, let's jump in your boat and let's go and um, let's go out fishing again. And Peter says, oh, Lord, I've, you know... I've fished all night, I can't, I didn't catch anything, and Jesus didn't ask him, uh, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, a request, uh, it wasn't, sorry, a, um, just a thought or an idea, it was a, hey, come on, let's do this, and so Peter agreed, and they went out fishing, and, and a miracle happened, and Jesus filled, his, uh, sorry, Peter filled his nets with fish, and he realized right then what he hadn't been able to do on his own the night before, trying catching fish that was, he could, with Jesus in his boat, there was a miraculous catch of fish. We're going to just share communion, by the way, at this moment. So I just invite you to participate. If you've never had communion before, you're welcome to participate. If you don't want it, that's fine. Just let it pass. But I just want you to listen at the same time, if that's possible. See, Peter, as he looked up at Jesus, that, that first time he met Jesus... He's looked at Jesus, he says, away from me. Leave me, Jesus. I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. But I'm thankful that Jesus didn't leave him out of it because Jesus literally took him under his wing. And for three years, Peter became one of the 12 disciples. 
And then, of course, Peter, but, and, and Jesus taught Peter a lot. But Peter still had some issues, still had some struggles. He struggled with this over-decoration and under-achieving. He would say something and then he would never achieve that. He would kind of be on the spur of the moment, just declare something that was, he thought I can follow through, but he never did. And, and we see, of course, what happened was that Peter said, I'll never leave you. Even if you die, Jesus, I will be there for you. And yet Peter followed after they took, arrested Jesus and he followed them. And of course, Peter denied Jesus three times. And Jesus had already told him, this is what you'll do, but he didn't believe it. But he did that night when he did actually deny Jesus. And so Peter now felt so bad about that. And, and Jesus was taken to the cross and Peter went on his way. Remember, this is a man that's followed him for three years. And he struggled with always proclaiming and saying what he's going to do, but never achieving it, never following through. And once again, Peter had said, I'll follow you even to death, Jesus. But he never followed through. He denied Jesus. And so Peter's out fishing after the resurrection of Jesus. Peter's out fishing in a boat with his friends. And as he's fishing with the other disciples, Jesus turns up on the, on the, on the beach in the resurrected body. He has breakfast cooking some fish already. And, and he calls out to them and the boat, they turn around and, they, and Peter recognizes that Jesus and Peter couldn't wait for them to row back into shore. He jumps over the edge and swims to shore. And, and, uh, and right at that moment on the beach, Jesus reinstates Peter. He had blatantly lied. He had denied Christ. And now Jesus reinstates him. You can't tell me the resurrection didn't affect that Peter's life. Amazing way. If it affected Mary and helped her to face the shame of her past and receive dignity and significance. If it helped John, who was the thinker and, and just needed that intellect, intellectual, intellect stirred to the point where he could see some facts, that's what Jesus provided for him. And for Peter, the man who, who struggled within himself, trying to live up to his own expectations... And, and it is blatant lies about Jesus, and yet Peter, Jesus reinstated him. And Peter knew that he was a sinful man. It wasn't it so different? Three years earlier, Peter said, stay away from me, Jesus. I'm a, I'm a sinful man. Now, when he's in the boat again, on the morning, of the, on that day, when Jesus was there in the resurrected form on the beach, Peter didn't wait. He jumps out of the boat and goes to Jesus. It was no longer stay away. It was, Jesus, I want to be with you. And it was only Jesus who could forgive him for his sins, which is what happened. I love the reality of this. On the day that Jesus rose, Mary discovered there's dignity for the broken people. John discovered there's answers for the thinker. Peter discovered that there's forgiveness for the sinner. All of them discovered something, and it was because of the resurrection of Jesus. And you know, today, maybe there's in your life that sense of shame about your past. We all have a past, don't we? We all have things that we wish we didn't do or didn't say. 
And we wonder where we can take that. I want to tell you, you can take it to Jesus Christ. Because he's the only one who can give us forgiveness. He says, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. And he says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I love that reality of what Jesus can do. He can help us with our shame to put it on our past. He can help our intellect get past all the, just need, I need the evidence. And may you get the evidence, but after you have the facts, there's going to come a point where you're going to have to believe and have a faith. And Jesus invites you this morning to engage in that, whether it's a Mary who needs to have dignity and significance, or a John that needs to have evidence, or a Peter who needs to be forgiven. I don't know where you sit today. Maybe you sit with all three areas. I think a lot of us do sometimes. That we just need. I want to tell you, of all the people in this world who've been great leaders and great teachers and great, you know, done amazing things in this world, there's only one that is still upheld. He's the one who split time from um, BC to AD at the birth, at his birth, and that was Jesus Christ. And he's the one that can make the difference. I'm so glad for wonderful people in our lives, but there's one person that you need more than anybody else, and it's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. Can we stand today as we hold this little cup? In a moment, I'm going to invite you just to simply um, tear the top off the first layer, and you can take the biscuit and eat it, but just wait a second, and then we'll take the second layer off, and you can drink the little cup. But I want to say this, on the night that Jesus... Before he died and was arrested, he, he had this meal with his disciples. It was a significant meal. It was called the Passover, but for the sake of it, it was a meal. And at this meal, he took a piece of bread and he broke the bread. And he says, you know what? This bread represents my body, which is going to be broken for you. And then the disciples are like, what? They didn't really understand, <laughs> to be honest. And then after they'd eaten the bread, he took this cup of grape juice and wine and he and he says, this cup is a new promise in my blood, my blood that will be shed for you. And they're like, what? But they took it and they each drank from it. And in doing that, he says, remember me. What would Jesus want us to remember about him? I think he wants us to remember the fact that he came for humanity. He fulfilled his destiny and his purpose for humanity. He didn't come just to have a good time. I'm sure he did sometimes, but he came for humanity and for the people. And, and you know what? It just wasn't for the first century people. It was for the 21st century people as well today, for you and me. And so today as you, in a moment, I'm just going to pray and then we're going to partake together. But Jesus came that we may have life and life to the full in this life and for eternity. And we could be assured of that. We can be assured of that. So let me pray. Father, I thank you today. Jesus, you came, you gave your best. You, your body was broken, your blood was shed. And that represented, the when you did that, your forgiveness of sins. You took our sins. You, you, uh, Father, it says, threw them away. When we come and we confess them, that we can have a hope and a future. And as we partake today of this simple little biscuit and this little cup of grape juice. Father, we want to remember what you've done for us, Jesus. The death and resurrection. And ultimately, what that resurrection meant, it meant hope for
for those who feel ashamed, forgiveness for those who feel sinful, and it meant um, information and facts and truth for those who are trying to work it all out. It means so much in that and even more. And we thank you today. And we give you all the honor and all the praise. And we take, eat, and drink in remembrance of you this morning. Let's do that right now. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Just pause for a moment. Just contemplate the reality of it and be thankful today. Thank you, Lord. We just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you. We thank you, Lord. Thank you. We thank you for your body that was broken. We thank you for your blood was shed. Thank you. Thank you today. Thank you today. Do you know his death and resurrection means forgiveness, healing, physical, emotional. It can mean that we're seen as right living before God righteous don't have to have guilt and shame anymore what he did for us his provision for our lives his understanding his care for us never leaving us never forsaking us all of those things and more we thank you this morning we thank you Jesus do you know because of the the Son of God, that the works of the enemy can be destroyed, that wants to try and destroy this world. We thank you that Jesus, he's ultimately the one who holds this universe in his hands and he can keep at bay the enemy's rubbish. He is an incredible, he's the ultimate say on how this world ends. We thank you today. We thank you. And we trust you today. Thank you, Father. But we just worship just one more time this morning. Mm. There's a name that levels mountains. Comes out highways through the sea. I've seen its power unravel battles right in front of me.
Today, as we would stand uh, on this Easter Sunday, uh, we're very aware that we don't need a special day really to celebrate what you've done for us, but we do take the moment to recognize and thank you for that. And Father, I thank you for every person in this auditorium, and for some of us here, maybe we've never actually responded to Jesus. And my prayer would be today that you would help them to start to see the incredible uh, gift that you can be to their lives, the incredible sacrifice that you took and the, the willingness that you have to take them from where they are into such better life because of the, they can believe in you as well. Help them to make that shift, Lord. Help them to shift from that belief that's been maybe nominal or not even a belief at all to now seeing how good and how true and how right you are. I thank you that your word says it takes the confession of our mouth and a belief in our heart and we can know salvation. Salvation, that means saved from hell, saved from a world of pain sometimes. Lord, help them to make that move and that shift. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Encourage someone today. Have a great Easter weekend. You can even have tomorrow off. How's that?